0: Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez-Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate and author. You are listening to Stage Free, a place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Now over time you may beat it or learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably want to talk about it and that's where we can help. Each week I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road that all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Welcome to Stage Free. I am so excited to introduce my next guest to you. She is a rock star in every sense of the word. She is a survivor, philanthropist, a thought leader in the breast cancer space, specifically, and financial toxicity. We're going to talk about that today. Also a sought-after keynote speaker, co-founder of the Pink Fund, which is a multi-million dollars nonprofit. I look up to you, Molly. I can't wait to share more, but how she started this through her own cancer battle that left her penniless. Molly was inspired to help qualified cancer patients get financial support. I don't want to give out all the information because I want you to share, Molly. First of all, thank you so much for joining me. I am an advocate. You're an advocate, but you, I look up to you. You're like my mentor, my inspiration. uh, So I can do some of the great work in my own space about mastering survival that you do for financial toxicity. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for having me. We are now halfway through Pinktober. So we hope we get through the (laughs) remaining days.
0: Yes. We're halfway through Pinktober and we're tired. Yeah. Um, We are going to talk about what's called pinkwashing and, what you call unawareness month um you could start with that or first we can talk about how you were diagnosed and how you started pink fund
1: okay well let's start there so um I had been through a financially devastating divorce and had to leave my marriage um in 1997 with five young children four to 13 in tow um, my former husband lost all her money in a deal which turned out to be a scam and i was thrust back into the workforce after being out 12 years at home kind of wiping butts and noses and i'd been in the print newspaper business and that business had changed dramatically so trying to re-enter in middle age was tough so i segued my career into sales because i had these kids i had an aging mother i was in that sandwich generation i needed to make money And I couldn't be in the office from eight to five every single day if I had a personal crisis going on. And this, of course, was 20 some years ago before there was any kind of empathy for working women and and the challenges in pre-COVID where now we have, you know, employees are more in charge of of, uh, their benefits and compensation. So and lifestyle. So I segued into large and grand format graphics. Um, I was going to be part of a startup in Detroit, a woman-owned division of a graphics company. Had my mammogram. Big mistake, by the way. Don't quit a job and start another job and decide to have your mammogram in the interim.
0: <laughs> no, not in between.
1: Right? You, you want to make sure you're fully insured and you all that's done. So, But I wasn't thinking about that because I had no family history of the disease. So I had my mammogram. Comes back suspicious. I have a biopsy. It's Friday, October. Oh, I'm sorry, Friday, April 1st, like May, April Fool's Day. I'm in New York City. I just left Major League Baseball's office because the company I had joined was going to get probably the bid for the graphics program for the all-star game that was going to be played in Detroit that July. Hop into my cab, pre-Uber, pre-Lift, <laughs> go back to the airport, and uh, my flip phone rings, and I flip it open. It's my OBGYN who for this year would be delivering the news that about 43,000 women in the United States would die from breast cancer, uh, that I had early stage, well, she didn't even say early stage. She said I had breast cancer. I heard nothing else after
0: that. Just right. They say you only hear 10%. Once they tell you that the rest is history.
1: So the reality for me is that, um, My early stage disease was unlikely to take my life, but it took my livelihood. I was no longer really the optimum candidate for this new position with this new company. I felt ethically I had to let them know what was going on with me because they were making a significant investment in the Detroit market, making me a woman-owned division of their business. So we agreed that it wasn't right. Now I don't have a job. I'm really unemployable because I had to undergo treatment and... I have the bonus of a $1,300 a month COBRA premium to access my assumingly life-saving care. And this was pre-ACA. So now- Wait, wait, back up for ACA,
0: for the people who don't know what ACA is. The
1: Affordable Care Act. Some people call it Obamacare. Okay. And thank you for saying that, because I really do hate acronyms.
0: Well, because, you know, as we say, there's just within the Latino community, there's 41% who have basic or below basic health literacy. So. I always like to break down the acronyms.
1: Yeah. Well, I have no acronym literacy at all. I don't know (laughs) what you're talking about half the time. So So, COBRA was too expensive. um, I, I had this COBRA premium. I'd been through this divorce. I had no child support, no alimony, and no savings. So without my income and that COBRA premium, we were in trouble very quickly. Now, I had remarried this wonderful man who was self-employed in the luxury piano business, but his income was, you know, unreliable, wasn't steady. So we were able to make that COBRA premium, but within three months, we weren't able to make the house payment. And so our home went into foreclosure. And every 58 days I was at risk for a vehicle repossession. My creditor would call me very kindly and say, you know, are you planning to make a payment or should we plan to repo your car? I pulled out my cancer card, I begged and pleaded, and they extended my lease by eight months but my credit report tanked dramatically. And then at the end of treatment, when everybody stopped delivering all that lasagna in various forms, I had no money for food. And so I found myself in line in the basement of a church pantry to feed my family. But more importantly, when I was sitting in those treatment waiting rooms over six weeks of daily radiation, the other working women there who had much more aggressive disease, much more toxic long-term treatment protocols were expressing concern that their treatment was going to outlast their FMLA benefit, and they would lose their jobs.
0: Right, because they were out on family medical leave. The Family Medical Leave Act. Yeah, I used an acronym again. You used right? an acronym, acronym I called <laughs> you, but I filled it in. <laughs> Thank you. So,
1: so they were yes, but they were talking about they were going to make some really long-term financial decisions, like sell their home. Um. Liquidate their IRAs and pay pig penalty, pull their kids home from college. But the most egregious and the most concerning was stop treatment and go back to work. And that was that, what? Wow. So I had gone to the social worker at the hospital previously to ask, you know, could anybody make a COBRA premium? And I was offered a $50 grocery card. So the, there was nothing in place in 2005 to address what in 2013 was termed financial toxicity. And that's a term that Dr. Yusuf Safar and Amy Abernethy at Duke University termed, coined to address the issue that the cost of care when it collides with lost income creates such a toxic environment that patients are making impossible decisions.
0: Yeah, like skipping chemo, skipping radiation or not complying, not going to other appointments. And when you mentioned it was after all the lasagna because this is when they say the shit really hits the fan. Pardon my French, but after the casserole, after the food train, the meal train wears off, that's when you start to have your bill like reality sets in and you your bills pile up and things start to hit you like how am i going to do this?
1: You know, the irony for me is that I had once lived a life of luxury for, well, practically the, all of my growing up years, and then I married a very, very wealthy man. And we lived that life that people gamble and buy lottery tickets for. And then when he lost all our money, um, I had this huge change in circumstances from having the groceries delivered to standing in line in the basement of the church pantry for a few boxes of food. But the beauty for me is that I identified a problem that wasn't being addressed. and on the simple belief that I could make a difference. I came home to my new husband when well, he was new ish uh, of three years. <laughs> and, um, I call him Tom terrific. And so that, and I say, he's, he was either terrific or insane to marry me because you have to be terrific to marry a middle-aged woman with five children, twice divorced, by the way, night sweats and a mildly demented mother. So I came home to Tom and I said, I think we should start a charity and pay these women's non-medical bills to their creditors for housing, transportation, utilities, and insurance, providing them a financial bridge so that they can complete their treatment protocol as prescribed and then look for other resources. Of course, at the time, there were no other resources, but that was in my head. And Tom later told me, you know, I knew you lost your breast, but now I I think you've lost your mind. <laughs> but because he sleeps with me, he went along with it.
0: Well, that's good that he was sleeping with you because now you've been able to raise $8 million or give out nearly $8 million. Yes.
1: We've delivered 7.5 million in financial support.
0: So thank God that Tom terrific came into your life and went along with this because what a master plan to find that gap. And um, tell me how, you know, when I was saying, sometimes you're, when you're in middle income, you're, you just fall through the cracks.
1: Right. So that was the other thing I wanted to really address. So our program, one of the qualifying criteria is that the household income is at or below 500% of the federal poverty level. And that chart is on our website under Get Help. And the beauty of that is in some zip codes, that really does bring in the middle class who are often completely knocked out of any social safety net program. So no SNAP, which is food support, no rent support no Medicaid, all those things. And the middle class sometimes is often more vulnerable than the lower class who has had access to these social safety net programs. So we also decided that that was something that was not being addressed. So that, this year, just so you know, for one person in the U.S., that middle, that 500% of the federal poverty level is about $74,000.
0: And so if you have two kids, on a spouse, that number would be higher? Yes. Okay. I know when my sister went through breast cancer and she didn't understand, but again, I was going through my own trauma between leukemia and breast cancer. So I wasn't there. You need to have a caregiver who can do all this research. And she kept saying, I keep falling through the cracks. And I wish she truly understood what the pink fund does because she would have qualified. And so you have 90 days and then you have a 100 and 80 day plan. Explain how that works for patients.
1: So oh gosh. So we had to plug
0: this phone. I don't anticipate ever having. I didn't even home. hear it ring. We didn't even hear it ring. Oh, good. So
1: when we first started this, your federal medical leave act benefit allows you 90 days of unpaid leave if you work for a company of 50 or more employers, employees. And so we set that 90 days that way, even knowing that that you don't have to take that time off continuously, but we also felt that it was like financial bridge. If you help somebody for one month, then they're already freaked out within two weeks for the next month. So that was the first piece. The 180 days, that was a, a fund we started called the Mary Herzog Fund. Our benefactor, Steve Huckman, um seeded this fund Many years ago, in honor of his wife, who died from metastatic breast cancer, and that 180 days reflects the five to six month wait period that women in treatment for metastatic breast cancer who have applied for Social Security Disability Income, which is known as the acronym SSDI, um, you. have a mandatory wait period where they can show no working income. Now imagine that, no working income for five, six months.
0: But the bills don't stop.
1: Exactly. So on both of these, um, we still have that household income of 500%. Um, The other piece that we added in after COVID was that the diminished income did not have to come from the patient. It could come from the other adult in the family, spouse, domestic partner, whatever. Because we found that after COVID, you know, some people really weren't working at all and things were really getting very, very dicey for patients. So those are our two programs. The bills are paid directly to the patient's creditors. We can report to our donors exactly where their money is going. You know, if you asked me, um, how many mortgages you make to Wells Fargo in New Hampshire, we could show you that. I mean, or US, all US, so.
0: That's amazing. So walk me through the process. If you are diagnosed with breast cancer, and you're thinking, I, I am that middle-income family. I'm not going to be able to do this. And sometimes at the beginning, you don't even realize because you think right. you're just so focused on cure me, help keep me here for my kids. You don't realize that it's all going to start mounting when the transportation, driving back and forth, putting gas in the car, paying for child care. And then maybe a month later, it hits you. It, it hits you in the face of how broke you're about to be. So when someone goes through that phase, walk me through the process of applying with the pink fund.
1: So what we tell patients right away is, you know, just humble yourself and find out immediately if there's financial resources when you're diagnosed. In fact, in some provider settings, they have um, a software program called TailorMed, which I highly recommend asking about. What which is it a called? TailorMed. TailorMed. T-A-I-L-O-R-M-E-D. And basically, the way that works is you sit down with a financial counselor or navigator in the provider setting, if they have purchased a software program, they will plug in your your prescribed treatment. They will plug in what your insurance covers. They will plug in your income. They will estimate how many days off you may need off work to recover from chemo. And then they kind of spit out a number. And when you're getting that sticker shock, they're right there with, okay, here are some of these resources and Pink Fund is one of them. So to apply for the pink fund, you must be in what we define as active treatment. You have had a positive mammogram, maybe a follow-up, you know, you've had surgery or not, but you're in active treatment, mastectomy, partial mastectomy, lumpectomy, chemo, radiation. We do not include the five to 10 year aromatase inhibitors which are designed to prevent recurrence of ER positive breast and cancer. And make
0: you feel terrible, but they do the job.
1: Yeah. We don't include that. Um, we don't include reconstruction only unless it's following right after treatment, because people will wait. Like I was just looking, this is kind of funny the other day. I wore a prosthetic on my right breast because every, every decision I made around my treatment was around money. And I was concerned that I might have, um, a reconstruction that might require an ER admission, or I wouldn't be happy with the outcome or the copay was too much or whatever it was. And so um, now I'm thinking I should have reconstruction because my, my left breast is quite large and, and gravity is taking its. Uh...
0: <laughs> well, treatment decisions are happening that way. I, I was just talking to somebody who reached out to arm Up for life. She split her surgeries and I know people do, but she's a teacher. And she could not miss. So she did part one of removing the cancer. And now she's going to go back. She's trying to rush to get back to work as a teacher. And then sometime on the next break, she'll do the deep flap. And Mm -hmm. they're splitting it one for, you know, for financial reasons, because she can't afford to miss work and doesn't have enough time off work. That pains me because for me, it took me five months, but I had baggage from leukemia, which is another episode. But, you know, it pains me to hear that, women and men who are diagnosed, but women mostly are making these treatment decisions based on paying their bills.
1: Correct. Yeah. It's hard. So you're in active treatment, you meet our income requirement and you go into our website and you give us your email and we email you the application. Hopefully by the second quarter of 2024, it will be all digital, but right now it's paper which is challenging for patients. And we as an organization for a long time did not invest in a digital application because it was going to take away from the money we could give to the patients. But we were able to get a grant for this digital application and we have enough income right now that we can really justify doing that, knowing that it's going to remove another barrier for patients in right. terms of getting help more quickly. So you apply, You we verify your household income with your most recent tax return. Um, we're removing some of the other qualifiers, which we found to be burdensome, like bank statements, um, copy of a driver's license. Often your driver's license doesn't match your address. And it turns out in some States, you don't actually have to change your address for six months to a year. So we were, we were placing burdens on patients that we just didn't understand. So some of that's going to be removed and the, uh, digital app will also be bilingual. Um, Spanish. Yeah. And then you send all this in and it's reviewed and everything's put into a database. And then on the second Monday of every month, a group of uh, volunteers comes in and sits in pairs or threes to review the application and to make funding decisions on behalf of the patient. So we always want to pay that biggest bill. That housing bill is the one that most concerns patient, you know, possibly going into a foreclosure situation as we did or an eviction. You know, and the last thing, actually, when you have a foreclosure or an eviction, not only does it tank your credit report, but it is, you, you can't rent anything after you have an eviction.
0: And then you're homeless.
1: That's, that can happen. Yeah. It's terrible. So housing is first, car payment is second, utilities are last. You submit copies of the bills you want paid. And as I said, again, we once you are qualified and we are going to pay these bills, you get an email that says, hello, we're happy to let you know that. The following bills and at this address with this account number are going to be paid in your behalf for these
0: months. That's fantastic. And the work you're doing it just to be able to pay those three months. I know people are saying, well what a, then what about month four, five, and six because it does keep going, but the way that you are filling that gap and that space for patients is huge. And well the other
1: thing we do is we redirect them to other resources. So um Coleman will provide Cash assistance, something we have not done, but they will deposit, I think it's between $500 and $700 into your bank account, $500 for certain stages of cancer, $700 for I think if you're metastatic, their income qualifiers at 300% of the federal poverty level. Now, they can't track where the money goes, but I will tell you that I would have really loved somebody putting $500 in my bank account to cover some gas and food. I remember September of 2005 standing outside the Kroger in our community and just tears streaming down my face because I had like a dollar and some change. I had no money to go into that grocery store. And that's what led me to the food bank. But that's the other thing I would highly recommend that you use a food bank. Um, The food banks now are very different than when I went through it. It's now client choice. It feels much more like a grocery store environment you don't feel that embarrassment that I felt, you know, standing in line to come out with these cardboard boxes of food. What was that like? I am very grateful for it.
0: You talked about, um, I can't imagine that your life just completely flipped upside down from being very well off to in line at a food bank. And, you know, here you are. And and I've seen it before because I've covered stories at food banks. You see someone with like a fancy purse and fancy Mm -hmm. clothes and people judge and think, why are they here but they have no idea maybe this person has cancer maybe they lost their house and they can't they happen to have those clothes from before the pre-life yeah i i that was
1: an issue for me um i remember my mother when i had to leave my marriage i had i had had a fur wardrobe really ridiculous now in retrospect but um i couldn't get much for these furs and my mother said you, you really shouldn't be wearing those i mean you're broke I said, yeah, but we might be homeless <laughs> and I have enough for the whole family. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, here we are uh, laying on the street in the middle of Michigan in the winter covered in mink. But um, we, the thing about the food bank, and this is a funny story, is it It was really hard for me. Uh, one of the times I went in, they kind of waved me over. There was always a line and they had taken information about a number of people in the family and they waved me back and they said, well, we we think we have some things back here that we think you could use. And I'm like, okay. And so they took me back and they had these cubbies. And in these cubbies were things like caviar, artichoke hearts, hearts of palm, Dean and DeLuca jams, Williams Sonoma cake mixes, all these kinds of things that in my former life, were in my own pantry and probably I had given to this food bank when the kids would come home and say, oh, we need something because I never had like a can of Campbell's soup or box macaroni and cheese. That just wasn't what we ate. So I came home with like four boxes. I said, well, how much, how much do you want me to take? And they said, we we want you to take all of it. And so I, I come home to my husband and I said, Tom, if we could only afford alcohol, we could throw a big cocktail party. I mean, it was, it was, Wild. But the last time I went to the food bank, I didn't come home with any food. And that was because as I started to get closer to the front of the line, the faces of the women delivering the boxes of food looked familiar to me. And I realized that they were some of the moms with whom my boys went to high school Mm. and I could not face them. That was a humbling experience that my own pride kind of prevented me from feeding my own family.
0: And that's powerful. That gets me choked up. But to think what you took that mess and that, and turn it into your message and really take that, that painful moment and that trauma and turn it into something to help so many women. You talked, um, I've heard you talk before and you give this Jenga analogy when you talk financial toxicity, time toxicity, Explain the Jenga analogy of how your world just falls apart and why you're doing what you're doing for women.
1: Right. So those of you who've ever played Jenga, there are all these rectangular blocks stacked up into a tower. And the idea of the game is to maintain the tower being erect, but you're pulling these blocks out and they're get, they keep getting put on top of the tower. So there's more pressure. So if you think about your life as a Jenga tower and every now and then something gets pulled out from us, we lose a job, we may go through a divorce, there may be an illness. Um, But that cancer diagnosis is the one that makes you face your mortality. And so immediately, one of those Jenga blocks on the right or the left is pulled out. And the foundation of your life is completely compromised. Now you find out that that insurance plan that you purchased because you could afford the premium from your employer came with a very high, high deductible. And it's November and you are being told by your provider, your oncologist, that they really can't wait to start chemo until January. So now you have two back to back deductibles. So your life is all full of holes, meanwhile the pressure is mounting. Then you find out that probably you won't be able to feel so well a few days after chemo. You might not be able to work. You can't schedule chemo on the weekend. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And then there, there's co-pays. And then like you said earlier, maybe to park your car at the treatment center, it's a $20 pay, you know, fee or parking ticket. And often, sometimes in those major cancer centers, they're in cities, they don't own those parking structures. So you can't negotiate for that. Right. Um, and then there are things like, you know, wigs that aren't covered maybe by your insurance. Um,
0: I got, when I had leukemia, I was diagnosed in January. I got uh-huh. my wig in Christmas time. I was like, thanks so much. I already have hair now. So yeah, you're talking about some of the, the challenges and all the mounting bills. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I just want to finish. So now your life is, it's like a leaning power of Pisa, you know, it's, It's about to fall over. And so we at the Pink Fund, we're not going to make you whole for life. What we're doing is we're coming alongside and we're putting scaffolding around you. We're stabilizing you for three to six months. And then we're kind of moving you over to, well, now try common and try cancer care and try living beyond breast cancer. I mean, and there are so many of them now that are in this space, but for the patient to try to find those is... um, like looking for the needle in the haystack. It's really hard. And the challenge is that many of them have open and closed funding. They have different criteria for qualifying. So my my kind of pie in the sky idea is that there would be some kind of common app that you would be able to apply for. And maybe these nonprofits could get together and agree on three criteria, you know, that, that would qualify you. So clearly you're in treatment. In my mind, you have certain income level, and I I don't know what the third one would be. Um, Maybe it wouldn't matter whether you lost income. In our opinion, there are medical bills that can be negotiated and paid over time. And by the way, before I forget, if you are being treated in a federally qualified health center, which has its own acronym, FQHC, you may be eligible for charity care. If you fall I think it's around 300% or below of the federal poverty level, which would cover your deductibles and co-pays. And there's a wonderful organization called Dollar Four, just like it sounds, the word dollar and F-O-R, that will help you apply for that charity care. So, and and often the hospitals don't tell you about this. You don't know about it. I don't think it's a secret, but I just don't think it's widely known. So Dollar Four, this guy named Jared, um, is crushing these medical bills every week. It's amazing what he's doing.
0: Wow. Well, uh, you're right. I wish there was, if we could have an app that people could log on and apply, it's like a matchmaker and then it would spit it out and say, you qualify, you may qualify for pink Fund. Here's something else. Because when you're in the midst of the fight and you're tired, you're just trying to hold down the fort, hold down your job, take care of your kids, like researching of how to apply is exhausting. And I right. don't have a family member or a friend who can spend those hours. It's like applying to college.
1: Exactly. There really should this. be. In fact, they just had this thing, Tech in Pink, and I and it's um led by the chief technology officer of SC Larder. And I had just heard of it last week and I reached out to him on LinkedIn. His name is Michael. I can't recall his last name. But I thought, okay, all you tech companies, why don't you volunteer to create a common app for all cancer? So you would go in. And you would check off whichever type of cancer you have. And there would be, you would put in some data and then it would deliver up. Well, actually not even deliver up the applications. I think it would fill in everything for you, almost like an AI situation. You know, they already know your name, right? And then it sends that out. And that would not only be for financial assistance for non-medical, but it would be assistance for some of the prescription copay pay programs. So I think it could be amazing. And I would love to challenge the whole tech and Pay group to come up with that.
0: Let's do it. I wish we could challenge and, and get some more help for the leukemia side. I know we're talking about breast cancer.
1: Yeah, but that would be the same thing in a common Global app. Sources. Oh, if there's leukemia, I have leukemia or somebody in my family's in treatment for leukemia. So I, think I just think that makes eminent sense. And certainly with the way technology is moving and with AI, I, I think that could be done.
0: That could be amazing. We will have to talk about that more. Somehow we're, we will make it happen on stage. We will do a, a shout out and see what we can make happen. Um, When I talk to you, I wanna get back to the Affordable Care Act, the ACA. Give people advice if they maybe they don't qualify for the pink fund or even if they do, what with the ACA that now things have changed that if your circumstances change you can change your insurance company or change your insurance plan. Can you elaborate more on that?
1: I am not an expert on this, um, but I do know we have on our board is a man named Dan Sherman. He has a company called Novectus. and Dan is an oncology financial navigator. And the challenge is that, that everything is different per state. So this is not across the board federally on how insurances work. But if you've had a change in circumstances, sometimes you can actually purchase co-insurance or you may be eligible for Medicaid. Dan would be a great guest for your show because he could really elucidate how that works. I can't do that for you. But in my case, I was ineligible for Medicaid because at that time in 2005, it was predicated on my previous year's income, Mm -hmm. which knocked me out. Whereas now, if you lost all your income and I had nothing. The problem might be also is the value of my home. I mean, there are just so many variables that fall into whether you qualify for these social safety networks.
0: But if you lose your job and have a change in circumstances because of the ACA, you can go back and make some changes. Yes. And so also talking to you, um, what are some other things that people can do to get financial help, whether through Pink Fund or without the Pink Fund, maybe if they don't qualify, you were mentioning about mortgage and your lease, like what, calls can they make? What things can they explore?
1: You know, a wonderful organization called Family Reach, which works in the same space, but for all cancers, tried piloted a program to get mortgage forgiveness. And it just didn't go very well. Trying to get mortgage forgiveness is like harder than doing your income tax. I mean, it's all the information they want. So Lisa. least Those things don't work very well. But what does work well is negotiating your medical deductible and co-pays. So if you are looking at a huge deductible, that is the time where you go in and you make a payment plan with the hospital and the provider and in writing, and you honor that plan. One of the things, you know, often now sometimes, and this is a little frightening, they will, um, I've been in, in the clinic setting, or somebody walks in and they have to pay their co-pay up front or they won't be seen. So things yeah. are really changing in our healthcare care system. Which... Um, and it's not to the benefit of the patient, but we also have to understand that these hospitals and providers, they have costs and, and they can't be left holding the bag for what you owe. So one of the things is sitting down and saying, you know, I need to negotiate a plan. In fact, I had to pay off my deductible. It took me three years. But I made a plan in writing and I paid it every single month. I'm
0: on a lot of payment plans right now with a lot See? of different places. I mean, two weeks ago, I was in the ER three times. I should have been in the ER three times, but they skipped a test that I had to go back and demand. Even then they said, why are you here? There's nothing we can do. I demanded another test. I had an infection. So they cost me that money. Nevertheless, when you're in the ER all the time, when you're a survivor and you have risk of infection, these problems, it mounts. So you have to ask. I do ask for payment plans. I think it's important. Um, Let's talk about what it is. Breast cancer awareness month, which means we are working hard. Everything's all about breast cancer, breast cancer. But at some point we, you talk about unawareness month Mm -hmm. and pink washing. So let's talk about unawareness month first.
1: So in our latest campaign, we know there is a lot of information education around the one in eight who will be diagnosed in their lifetime. Um, around the types of breast cancer that are out there, treatment options protocols. there's a lot of pink um but what people are really unaware of is the financial impact of the disease until it happens to them. Nobody plans for cancer no. I mean when you you know unless you have a family history, you probably don't think about it you probably I also the other thing you don't elect often is disability. Oh, I'm not going to get sick, especially these younger women that are being diagnosed quite young. Um, Well, why would I pay for disability? I'm not going to get sick. Well, disability can save you, but you just don't anticipate all that. And everything is, all these decisions are predicated on your income. And let's even talk about unawareness for younger people who they don't have retirement savings. They have college debt, Mm -hmm. right? So they, they... They are really under the gun. I mean, that they're drowning financially already. So that's a real challenge for them. So at Pink Fund, when we talk about unawareness, is just to shift the focus to the other part of the fight, just to make sure that we're educating around this, that we're teaching you how to advocate or find a badass friend to advocate for you. Um, the questions you should ask, we have a poster on our website that you can download called Just Diagnosed. And that's all about what you should be asking around, around the financial issues of your treatment protocol.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I will have Mm -hmm. to go on the website and look for that. Mm -hmm. And we'll be sure to post that on our website Mm -hmm. as well. So people can access that, um, pink washing. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's pink everywhere. Everyone says, oh, a portion of the proceeds goes to help breast cancer.
1: Don't tell me portion that doesn't tell me anything. In fact, the New York State Attorney General, whose guidelines we use when engaging in what's called cause marketing, where there's a service or product being sold, those guidelines go like this. It is incumbent upon the for-profit corporation to spell out what the non-profit corporation is going to receive. So here are the guidelines. This is what we're selling during this period of time. A percentage or dollar amount of the retail value, not a portion of proceeds, because nobody knows what that means, will be donated back to the nonprofit by X date with a base fee, regardless of sales. So in 2012, an organization that was selling T-shirts outside stadiums in in the U.S. was Pink Fund was very small. Nobody really knew about us. Um, We were delivering maybe $5,000 a month in support, whereas now we're doing about $100,000 a month, um, was using our name and telling consumers that if they bought this T-shirt, that the money was going to go to the Pink Fund. So I get a phone call one day from a young lady who says, I'm flying back to Colorado with like $30,000 in my pocket, and I'm just beginning to wonder if you're getting the money. And I don't even know how she got my phone number. And then I got a call from a bar in Texas. And then I got a call from a reporter at the Chicago Sun-Times. It turns out that we, d- we did get 50000 But the $2.6 that had been taken in our name was used to line this individual's pockets and pay a meager salary to these girls. Good. And I was subpoenaed at trial. And this man went to jail. Good. So when we insist that the for-profit corporations that want to get involved in the pink space and, and do good by donating that portion of proceeds, which we won't allow them to say that, um, this is to protect them. It's to protect us and it's to protect the consumer.
0: Absolutely. So you were saying there, there's like a sweater out there that let's say is selling for a couple hundred dollars and.
1: 1% they're giving back to a really fine research, uh, nonprofit, which I don't want to name, but I, I'm, Surprised that that nonprofit has not insisted on at least 10%.
0: Yeah, because people are now using pink.
1: Yeah. So the one that made me crazy this year, this was one. So here's the thing why I'm so worn out from October, Pinktober. Every day I have these Google alerts of news stories all about pink. Probably six to ten a day. This is the one that made me nuts. 400 feet of cement pylons at a racetrack, and I don't want to name which organization, but it wasn't it wasn't funny car, because we're with Snap-on Tools, and they do an amazing job with us, was painted pink. 400 feet of cement pylons at a racetrack painted pink to bring awareness. Awareness of what? There was no call to action. I don't think Sherwin-Williams or any of the other paint brands donated the pink paint. I mean, there was just nothing. It was 400. And then it was a news story. Lorianna, like you're a newscaster. Like, would that make you crazy?
0: Yeah, it would make me crazy because there's a point we want the help. We have made progress because there is so much awareness in the breast cancer space because the number is one in eight. So I love that everyone's talking pink, but people are capitalizing on it for the wrong reasons in some way. And so they do need to spell out how much are you really helping? You can't say, oh, we want to look like we're doing good and donate 1% or 2%. No, tell us how, and, and follow through, how much did you really donate? And and I'm glad, and I know we're talking breast cancer, and we're both in the breast cancer space, but again, I always speak up for my blood cancer people because nobody's wearing orange for leukemia. I, I want to see some, I'll, I'll have anybody paint me any bricks orange. We need help across the board if we're going to talk equity. That's a whole nother well, episode.
1: I, I, so <clears throat> in Detroit, we have this above ground. We have just a in few the minutes, place. but keep going. Uh, It runs 2.7 miles in the central business district of Detroit. So we got a phone call from them. They said, we want to wrap the trains trains pink for breast cancer. I said, well, you you can't do that. That's pink washing. So I said, let me show you our Eyes Up Here campaign, which is photos of 30 women from the midline of the bus up. And then it says, Eyes Up Here, it's time to shift your focus to the financial part of the breast cancer fight. They agreed to do that. A fabulous company called Priority Waste underwrote the entire thing, which was about a $30,000 value to us. And that train is educating people around the city that we're a resource, but not only people in the city who, who live and work in the city, but people who come to visit Detroit. This is through the month of October. And more importantly, inside the trains are posters of these individual women with a QR code on how to get help or give help. But their kind of story, like how they were affected financially. Wow. So that is a great example of using pink to educate people that there's a resource out there. We didn't pay for that wrap. And and between priority waste and the people mover in the city of Detroit, they all came together in a really positive way. Amazing.
0: But if you had just
1: put a pink wrap on the train with a breast cancer ribbon, it would have been meaningless.
0: Right. Well, Molly, you are amazing. You're an inspiration. You're a great mentor to me. And thank you for always truly mentoring me. Whenever I call you with a question on advocacy, you have the answers because you've been there, done it for 20-something years, and you're changing yeah. and saving lives. So I appreciate you. And all the patients, the eight nearly $8 million that you've paid out, they appreciate you as well. Yeah, it's a gift
1: to be able to do this.
0: You are a true blessing to the to the cancer space and to so many people. So I love you. I adore you. Thank you so much for joining us. And for all the listeners, I hope you go to the website for The Pink fun if you're a caregiver, if you are someone going through cancer, because there is so many resources and additional other nonprofits that you share where you could direct them. Um, yeah. And our goal here at Stage Free is truly to give you the tools you need for success to help you feel empowered, more educated and informed in your own cancer journey. Because I want you to remember, we are all in this together. So thank you, Molly. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts who will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armrepforlife.org.